This trip is brought to you by our good friends at CoinKite. CoinKite's here. They build the best Bitcoin hardware in the space. I'm rubbing my block clock right now. Have you ever rubbed your block clock, Logan? No, I'm not weird. Yeah, it doesn't feel great. It's not a rubbing product. It's a looking product. You look at it. It gives you great stats on the Bitcoin network. You set it up. It's a beautiful, aesthetically ple- pleasing piece of hardware. It keeps you updated on what's going on in Bitcoin. That's just one thing. That's just like the fun things that CoinKite makes. They're very fun. They're very cool. They also make the best security hardware in the Bitcoin space. Their wallets, the MK4 and the Q1, both come with two secure elements. Uh, both are NFC enabled. Both allow you to create private cu- public key pairs offline in an air gap fashion so your private keys never touch the internet you can add entropy to your private key with dice rolls as well with both products a bit different mk4 looks like a little calculator the q1 is a full keyboard device with a bigger screen uh, qr scanning capabilities uh, and it has a battery pack as well again the most secure hardware on the market allows you to create your private public keys in an air gap fashion it's the best way to do it. Adding entropy to it as well. Eliminate single points of failure. Cold card helps you do that with their hardware by keeping your stuff offline. They also have the SATS card, the tap signer, the SATS chip, a bunch of things. Go check it out at coinkite.com. Try RHR. Just try it. Tell me what happens. Nobody's told us, Logan. Have you tried it? Uh, I have not. Have you tried it? I have not. Maybe it's on me. Maybe I should go try it. This trip was also brought to you by our good friends at Unchained. We talk about them in this episode. They're doing it the right way. They're a financial institution of the future, building their whole company off of Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties. They have their Vault product, which is a two or three multi-sig, in which you hold two keys. Unchained holds one. Since you have those two keys, you control your Bitcoin. You can move it whenever you see fit. If you're ever in a pinch and need Unchained to be the second in the two or three multi-seat quorum, the second signature, they're there for you. Uh, they have the trading desk where if you buy Bitcoin through their trading desk, it goes straight to that vault that you set up. So there's no pulling out keys, wallets, addresses. You buy Bitcoin, it goes straight to your multi-seat cold storage vault. Single points of failure are eliminated in that model. Unchained never holds the Bitcoin. You don't buy it. On Unchained, it sits on exchange. No, you buy it, goes straight to your multi-sig cold storage. Whether you're an individual, high net worth individual, a family office, an institution, a sovereign wealth fund looking to buy Bitcoin, hit up Unchained's trading desk. Go to unchained.com slash trading to check it out and enjoy this rip of Rabbit Hole Recap. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. We're alive. Thanks, Logan. Thanks for letting us know that we're live. Matt, we've really got to work on our title game here. We've, we were so good for so long. The last two, two weeks, actually last week was pretty easy since we did a live rip, but the week before that, it took us another 
20 minutes. It's the, the summer doldrums. The summer doldrums are here. Slow news week. That's another reason why we're a little late today. Trying to figure out how we can fill out the list. Got a few topics we want to talk about, but summer well, doldrums are really here. They're a real thing. We should start. We should start with the main topic of the week, uh, which is Logan's uh, performance uh, via Pleb Lab. I think we play the whole commercial because I, I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. Can we Logan, play it? Yeah, we can play it. We have it on roll. Are we ready? Logan, uh, just keep speed dial. <laughs> pull it up, Logan. I didn't know he had this in him. I really didn't. It, will it let me make it, make it widescreen? I can't make it widescreen. It'll break the screen share. What do you okay. mean? Hi, it's Bits no, with the Gnostic no. Dev Course. And you pause, can... pause, pause. Hi, it's Just take out, <laughs> hit the, not full screen, widescreen. Oh, this there thing. There you go. I never Thank use you. that. Wait, 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 wait. The sound is way too high. Oh, uh, yeah. Hi, it's Bits with the Noster Dev Course, and you're going to be in a great mood all day because you're going to be zapping your troubles away by learning Noster. Now watch this. We got a blank page, one slap, we got a JSON object. Two slaps, content, in a second. And we add a signature. Beautiful. Now, you love Twitter, you hate the feed. Watch. No feed. Did you know Logan had the same? Nope. Is that guy on Facebook? What are you working on? That project's boring. Stop having a boring project. Stop having a boring life. We're going to make the next social media. Five seconds. Four or five seconds, it's done. You're going to have an exciting life now. You're going to love my nips. And if you don't love my nips, nips are just numbers. You can make your own. You see this nip? Now it's my nip. You can make your own. Come on, we'll show you. You know what they're charging for verification these days? $8. Watch this. I made my own blue check mark. Plus, we got badges. You can make one for nothing. Stop throwing your money away. Onions. I'm tearing up here. You know the Onion Network? Super slow. It's making you cry. It's making me cry. Life's hard enough as it is. But check this out. Global feed. Everyone sees your app now. You don't need Tor. Guys, we're going to make social media great again, one zap at a time. I don't even have internet, and I'm still going to make the next big AI app. Noster's the best. Hey, man. I've been on that Noster for, like, two months, man. Hey, you got any more of them zaps? Get your Noster Dev course by visiting pleblab.com slash nosterdevs. Save $20 when you pay with Bitcoin. Sign up in the next 15 minutes and you'll get the exact same thing as everyone else. Order now. You crushed it. Huge round of applause for Logan. Carlos. Carlos saying, we can just replay this for an hour. I'm okay with that. I actually suggested <laughs> that to Logan before you joined. I was like, we've got very few things to talk about. Let's I got to give some credit to Super Testnet for uh, translating the Slap Chop commercial into Noster and helping me film that. You guys, you guys at Pub Lab are just straight legends. So shout out to all of you. That was, uh, put a smile on my face when I watched it. What kind of accent were you going for there? Was that a New York accent? Yeah, I wasn't. <laughs> really sure how much I wanted to lean into that because he has kind of a New York accent, but it's subtle. I think you nailed did, it. Did you ever take theater? Were you a theater kid? I, I yeah. There you were. Pretty sure. Mar pretty soon, Marty's going to be Logan's producer. We're going to. That's the real focus. <laughs> <laughs> the tables have turned. It's very good. Go check it out, freaks. If you're learning, looking to learn more about Noster. 
It's a pretty steep discount if you pay in Bitcoin. 50%? As it should be. 33%. 33%. Excuse me. Still Repeating, steep. of course. What, uh, what else can you tell us beyond the infomercial that we just watched? What else can people expect when they sign up for the... The Noster Pleb Devs course. The course is presented by uh, Super Testnet, Topher Scott, and Captain Stacks. Uh, they go over a few things. Trying to, I, I spent the last couple of weeks like recording these episodes, <laughs> like trying to remember what they were each called. Uh, this like it it goes from just a basic introduction of the concept of Noster to building a couple apps, like a Reddit clone. I like that. And it's all virtual, right? You know, to be in person. Yes. Hell yeah. Consider it free. It will be on Udemy next week. Hell Is yeah. that how it's pronounced? Udemy? Udemy. 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 Man. I think it's Udemy. It's a horrible name. You demai. It's like Academy, but you. Is that the idea? I don't know. I guess I so. so. I think so. Go check it out, freaks. Maybe I'll take the course. Need to get more acquainted with Noster. Even though I'm pretty acquainted with it. We got a Noster news list item. News item on the list. Just got out of a workout, freaks. Brain's uh, clear, but I'm a little tired. Let's start with Clark's dashboard. The current price of Bitcoin is under $30,000, currently sitting at $29,775. One cuck buck is going to get you 3,359 sats, currently sitting at a 578.7 cuck buck mark billion market cap. We're block height 799,553. That means we are 447 blocks away from block height 800,000, which has no significance other than it's 40,000 blocks before the next halving. So 447 blocks, that's what, 288. It's like three and a half days. So we should hit block 800,000 early Monday morning, East Coast time. We didn't mention it last week since we did a live rip in Nashville. But since we last mentioned it, there has been a difficulty adjustment. Uh, there was an upward adjustment of... 6.4%. Uh, we are currently 799 blocks away from the next adjustment. Estimated to be on July 25th, which would be Tuesday. And that is looking like a negative 2.6% adjustment. Blocks have been coming in at 10 minutes and 16 seconds on average. According to Clark's mempool, there are 161,865 transactions Sitting in his mempool, according to Wiz's mempool, there are 285,424 transactions, 146 blocks to clear the mempool. It's getting getting less full by the week. We have until Christmas. Or is it Christmas Eve? I think it's Christmas Eve. There are currently 8,197.56 Bitcoin in unspent capacity in Samurai's Whirlpool. That is an unspent value of 243.8 million cuck bucks. Summer doldrums. Really uh, really hitting in. And you can see it in the Bitcoin price too. Not that I'm really 
a chart analyst, but I thought I thought this is just interesting. If you go here, Logan, pull up Bitbo and zoom out to like the one month view of the price chart. They're just like flat. It's just like between 29 and 31 K for a full month. Bitcoin is my stable coin. It is a stable coin this month. Find safety in sats. And freaks, uh, I have to warn you, Matt has added a ton of distractions <laughs> to his setup. He's got, can we, can we pull up the picture? Is it safe to pull up the picture? Let me, yeah, let me safe. check our yeah, Slack. Yeah. Pull up the picture, Logan. Uh, this is, this is too many distractions. I might have to step in here for quality control. <laughs> you already distracted enough. It is so overwhelming. By, I don't know chat that I may have to. I got I got three screens. I got three screens. I have the I have the cameras at the right height now without boxes. This is our yeah. new like streaming corner in at the park. By the way, freaks. I don't know how I feel about it. There's too many distractions there. It's too stimulating. You're already distracted enough by the live chat. I got I got two live chats open right now, two different screens. I might have to make a call to Rod to have him unplug and remove a couple of those monitors before we come to record RHR. Dude, I hate to break it to you. This is all Rod. Otherwise, I I'd just, otherwise, I'd still be using the laptop mic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, slow week. Should we do a brief recap of of Nashville? Yeah. Yeah, it was a great week. It was. Very high signal summit. A lot of good takeaways. I think the overarching perspective on Lightning is that it is an experiment that has failed by many who are not deeply involved in the Lightning industry or actually using the tools. I've always found that characterization of lightning to be terribly wrong considering that I use lightning every day podcasting 2.0 um, tftc.io paying no. for stuff on the internet other stuff Noster um, I've understood innately that it is not an experiment that has failed it is something that is maturing and getting better day in and day out but last week in Nashville at the lightning summit I became more bullish than I ever have been. And I've been saying this on a few podcasts over the course of the week and recorded a pretty long episode with Cody Lowe from Fetty that was released yesterday on the TFTC feed. And this convergence of, or potential convergence of AI and lightning, I think is something that many people are, are sleeping on right now. I think it's going to be massive for activity on the lightning network. Look at how distracted he is. This is fucking Dude, Rod. If you're I listening, I know you. I know you live stream this in the park, Rod. If you're listening, come unplug two of the monitors, please. Um, I was like trying to figure out how to make a streaming goal on Zap.Stream. Um, I, I made it. The title of our streaming goal is not sure how this works, uh, but um, I uh, thank you for coming to Nashville for the Lightning Summit, Marty. I know. I know all of our time is scarce. Um, so I appreciate everyone who made it 
made it out to Nashville, made it out to the park and uh, contributed their time. Uh, it was such a good week. It was such a good week. You mentioned Cody coming on TFTC. Um, he flew on a red eye just to be out here for the summit, uh, which I really appreciated. Um, many good conversations, both recorded and not recorded. Uh, every speaker at the park has the ability to choose not to have their talk published. Um, as long as as long as they approve for their talk to be published, it is published audio only uh, to the Bitcoin Park podcast feed. You can search Bitcoin Park in your favorite podcast app. Um, the park is we've uh, just passed our one year anniversary. Uh, we've held 40 plus free events uh, since we started. Uh, we've officially passed 100 supporting members, which was a big landmark, uh, which is awesome. I got Marty his uh, member hat. Um, every member gets a Bitcoin Park hat and a Bitcoin Park jacket. Um, we have over 1,000 people in the meetup group. That meetup group is maybe 19 months old. Um, I think Rod crunched the numbers at, at nearly, if not over, 3,000 people have come to the park. Uh, so across all the events, so, uh, momentum is building. It's very strong. And, uh, the lightning summit was, a incredibly special week. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. Particularly the last panel with Tony, Lisa and Alex. Cause like I said, I'm more bullish on lightning than ever, but what I really particularly liked about the mix you let of people. someone out of the panel, Marty. I mean, you moderated it, but thank you. Okay, continue. <laughs> Matt is a moderator, um, but even beyond that panel, I do think another mischaracterization of Lightning generally, and the people working on it more specifically, is that they're unreasonably bullish about what Lightning can do. And I thought a lot of the content was just a sober recognition of limitations of lightning, how it's currently used, how it may be used in the future and how it should really be looked at as a complementary tool for other second layer solutions as well, like Fedimins. Yeah. It wasn't a, like a cheerleading event. Um, we, we were actually able to have the hard conversations, uh, the nuanced conversations and the things that people want to have off the record, which is really awesome. I mean, that's one of the crazy things about something like the lightning summit or any of our events at the park is that you, on, online, you might not even know they're happening uh, because we have a no photo video policy, but that's specific. That last panel, I thought it was really interesting. This idea that it's incredibly difficult to quantify if lightning is successful or not. Um, and I'm not saying that, I don't think we, we were talking about it in the cop-out sense. I think it can be used in a cop-out sense, which is like, oh, well, you know, you can't tell. So, you know, it's successful. Uh, but it's just really hard to measure. And there aren't necessarily um, – there's no real strong objective measurements on on what what is success. And I actually joked around um, – like I, I, th I think I think the measure of success is is payment volume. It's just you can't really measure it, measure that. It's more it would be more opt in to measure that. I guess you could take guesses, you could take educated guesses, but it's mostly on a volunteer basis of of users reporting self reporting their stats, like a store saying you know we did this much in lightning volume. Yeah. 
Yeah, Alex Leishman was the one who brought that up. And yeah, it wasn't a cop out. Like we can't measure the amount of payments that I mean, they can see what they're doing individually at River, but trying to calculate the overall volume on the network is literally impossible unless everybody self reports, which is highly unlikely. And it was really a conversation that dovetailed into like, yeah, how do we measure success like with these unknowns that exist? And it could be seen as a good thing too. Like that's one of the benefits is that you're able to transact with a degree of privacy and not have people track you as you're spending money throughout the economy. But yeah, it was a very nuanced discussion. That's one thing. It's similar, it's similar to cash in that regard. I mean, yes. cash is, uh, what the, I guess they estimate cash you should buy like IRS tax receipts, sales tax receipts, but you don't really, obviously not all of that is reported. Yeah, I don't think all the cash businesses down on the island that I'm on right now reporting all. Yeah, but they like, they make a best guess. They extrapolate based yes. off of that. Um, no, that was another sort of visualization of lightning, which Cody really did a good job of explaining on the TFTC episode where we dove into a couple of the topics he talked about in his demo, his Fetty demo last week. And then the panel he was on right after that is just viewing... He's so goddamn distracted right now, freaks. I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening. <laughs> Just viewing the Lightning Network as sort of the IP layer of the Bitcoin economy where it will connect a lot of other second layer solutions like Fediments and Liquid. Maybe not every transaction will happen on the Lightning Network. Maybe many will happen within individual mints on top of the Fediment protocol. Maybe many will happen in liquid if that ever gains traction or some other second layer solution that, that hasn't launched yet and lightning will just connect them all. I really like that characterization of where the lightning network fits into things. Interoperable payment protocol. Yes. But I mean, I have a piece uh, that I wrote in discrete log um, that kind of tackles, I because I, it kind of talks about this because like I do think there is a, this difficulty with talking about lightning and we touched on this in that panel too. Uh, lightning as a payment protocol f for transfers between large custodians has already been a massive success, but that should almost be treated completely distinctly from, you know, freedom use usage of, of lightning. And it's, it's hard to, like say where that line is. And also once again, the metrics are all very murky, especially when you start to go on the, on the freedom side of it. Um, but I think that is still kind of yet to be proven. Like if at scale lightning is something that people use uh, as a tool for freedom in comparison to, uh, you know, we have on the list Binance launching lightning support and like Binance launches lightning support. And what do they do? They put like 15 Bitcoin on a node and it's like split between massive channels split between other exchanges that they already have a legal agreement with. And then I called up and they were like, you're ready to open this channel. Let's open the channel together. Right. And it's that, that usage is almost that premise that we were sold with liquid, but lightning actually found fit for it, which is you have these large payment channels to a two multi-sig, a, a regular lightning channel. Um, 
but it's between custodians, right? I, I think there is a distinction there and it makes it a little bit more difficult to talk about the success or failures or the different trade-offs of Lightning. Yeah. I mean, more broadly, more generally speaking too, I mean, if that does wind up being, I mean, it is the product market fit today if it continues to be the predominant product market fit and it adds value to exchanges like no one's forcing anybody to use lightning like i'm still like i have my own node anything that comes through the website or through tftc goes to my node and it's been working fine for many years i'm an example of an individual who can use lightning in a sovereign fashion with relative ease and haven't had many hiccups the only hiccups i've run into is when i need to add more disk space to my node it crashes for a little bit i just add some more space and get it right back up but yeah it will uh will be interesting to see it i think it really highlights just how early we are we don't know the answers to these questions we're finding them out on the go and hopefully as has happened in the past we'll reach limits we'll figure out where the pain points are and begin building tools to to flesh out those pain points. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Shout out to you and Rod and Harry putting on a great event. It was a great time down there. You got me to stay f- for a Friday night. I need to get back till uh till around noon. I was on the beach, I'm- got on the beach, and then went to Atlantic City. I'm hit the hit the craps table. I don't gamble that often, but we went to see Shane Gillis. Did you win? I did. I left with like five hundred dollars. I was up oh, five hundred. That's impressive. It's impressive when you leave with money. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't want to dox who it is, but uh one rider die Bitcoiner who came here as a guest is staying here for another three months. Oh. Just so that, that's pretty bad. Yolled, yolled into it, came and didn't leave. Yellowed into three months, three months here at the park. <laughs> I think I might have an idea of who it is, and I'm very excited for Nashville to have he or she there for the next three months. Good vibes, good vibes. Good vibes. All right, should we hop into the list? Do you want to start with the broader economic stuff or dive into Bitcoin stuff? Uh, we didn't do Clark Moody's yet, right? Yes, we did. See, he's so yeah. distracted, freaks. Oh, my God. Holy shit. I knew there was a 50% chance. In Holy shit. I gambled and lost. I gambled Rod, and lost. if you're listening, go take away the goddamn <laughs> monitors. There's a reason <laughs> I've only used one screen in the past. This is disrespectful. By the way, freaks, if you're watching on Noster, uh, my homework after this episode is I'm going to create a separate uh, Noster account for Rabbit Hole Recap. Um, so going forward, we'll be streaming from that account, just FYI. Uh, do you even care anymore? I care. I, that's why I'm here. <laughs> I'm just exhausted and distracted. Uh, where do you want to start? Bitcoin stuff uh, or broader economic stuff? Let's always start with Bitcoin stuff. Let's start with uh, Bitcoin stuff. All right. Let's go to somewhat breaking news, which is the fact that Coin Center had their case dismissed by district court uh, and the case was against the unconstitutional f- 
financial surveillance that is due to go live uh, January 1st, 2024. And this is section 6050I of the tax code, which they are proclaiming as a clear overreach for the government to force citizens to spy on each other without a warrant. And if you freaks forget, this particular section of the tax code will make it so any individual who receives a crypto payment of $10,000 or more is going to have to report that transaction to the government, but also include the personal identifiable information of the sender as well without a warrant. So if you're receiving more than $10,000 worth of Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies after January 1st, 2024, as of right now, you will be expected to uh, report that transaction and the information of the person on the other side of that transaction. So the government is forcing you to become a KYC AML data purveyor. I will say that Coin Center has always been pretty on top of the privacy side, um, which I've appreciated. Uh, I think Bitcoin Policy Institute's doing a lot of great work on that front as well. Um, I don't know. This is disappointing, but not surprising. Uh, we're probably going to solve these issues. We're definitely going to solve these issues with tools, uh, freedom tech, uh, not with working within the confines of the corrupt institutions uh, that surround our lives. But uh, I think I think there's a, there's a very strong argument to commit resources to try and uh, push back against laws that in effect, what they do is they, they harm our country. Like they're like, if you, if you actually care about America, you don't want policies that weaken individual rights, because if you weaken individual rights, then you weaken the entire country at scale because a country is just a group of individuals. And if, if, if we have surveillance policies and we have these massive data honeypots and everyone's verifying their identity on Twitter, um, then you can have malicious actors that come in and, and compromise all that data because we've seen with every database, almost every major database on the internet, um, they get leaked, they get stolen, they get sold, they get shared eventually. Uh, so if you want China to access it, if you want our enemies to access it, um, then support greater surveillance legislation on Americans and anti-freedom legislation on Americans. Uh, but if you actually care about this country, then you should be pro-privacy and pro-freedom uh, at the individual level. Completely agree. I mean, Logan, do some research and find this particular tax code. What personal identifiable information do they want individuals to collect? Like, are they they talking about name, birth date, address, social security number? Like, are they going to have individuals saying, all right, you sent me 10 grand worth of Bitcoin. Give me your social security number so I can fill it out for you. Like, are they asking individual citizens to issue 1099s to friends and family members who send them some money? Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty creepy. You have to um, to 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 receive to receive a Bitcoin payment from someone. You have to ask for their verified Twitter handle. <laughs> I mean, yeah. 
Okay. So any person who is engaged in a trade or business and who is in the course of such trade or business receives more than $10,000 in cash in one transaction for two or more related transactions. So that's another, like, if so I guess the way this is worded, if you receive an aggregate more than $10,000 from one individual over the course of a tax year, you have to. For related, for related transactions. Yeah. Shall make this return described in subscription B with respect to such transaction for related transaction at such time as the secretary may by regulation prescribe return as described subscription F as such the name address. That's a TIN and TIN of the person from whom the coins were received, the amount of the cash received, the date and nature of the transaction, and such other information as the secretary may prescribe. So right now, name, address, and TIN. I'm not sure what TIN is. It goes into exceptions. Uh, TIN is your tax identify number, which is usually your social security number. Okay. So yeah, you have to- uh, Your business is your EIN, which is a separate derived number unless it's a sole proprietorship LLC, which then is your social security number. Yeah. So you have to collect social security numbers or EINs from the people sending you that money. I think, um, yeah, Twitter's going to automate all this. So when we just pay through their wallet, uh, all that information will just get <laughs> background. It'll be great. Twitter's going to launch a Bitcoin wallet? I mean, he doesn't want payments. He's at least going to launch a CBDC wallet. <laughs> um, and yeah. maybe, he'll have, maybe he'll have FedNow support first. Well, this is very fucked up and actually dovetails into the next topic we're going to talk about. Do you about. hear that, Logan? I, I did hear that. Okay. Now it's gone. So. Okay. So many distractions. <laughs> Until Marty speaks again. Oh, it's Marty. It Marty, it's you. It's me? Yeah, don't fucking tell yeah, me distractions. I was just... on top of that. I was on top of that audio, man. It's important. Matt, say <laughs> something while Marty fucks with his cables. I think it's your cables. Just unplug everything and put it back. Who, Marty's cables? Yeah. Oh, I'm just supposed to hold hold court? I had, um, I went into the Lightning Summit Week with 26 no bugs, no pod, no check hats. And uh, I'd left with none. I had 26 people come up to me, shake my hand. I welcomed them to the resistance and they promised never to get uh, their identity verified on Twitter, uh, which is impressive. I, there was, there was more people, the hats, we, I ran out of hats. I didn't get enough hats. Um, but anyway, that's the story of me spending over $200 to print a bunch of hats to prove a point. Um, but I thank you all for joining the resistance. Um, I see we have Kieran from Snort Social and Carnage. I don't know if Carnage is in the comments, but I see Kieran in the comments on Zapstream. I know you're the, my understanding is you're the lead maintainer of Zap.stream. If I could have a feature that tells me after the stream how many Zaps were received or during the stream, that would be appreciated. Um, in this situation, I have to split those with Marty, so I need to know how much to send him. Uh, but also, uh, it'd just be useful to know because I, I have no idea. But thank you, freaks, who are supporting us live uh, with Zaps, with Bitcoin payments um, on Zap.com. And we'll make sure that uh, Marty 
uh, reaches out to you to get your verified Twitter credentials uh, so that we can report those to the government. So thank you. Thank you for your support. No, we don't have to do that until January 1st. Uh, after January 1st, I will be doing that. And <laughs> I'll make it easy. I'll, I'll have a, a rote form that I just send out. Try to keep it as short as possible. Yeah, I do see the Zap leaderboard right now. Kieran's leading it with 250,000 sats. Um, thank so you, thank Kieran. you, guys. Um, anyway, <laughs> back to the topic at hand, government overreach with data collection here in the United States. As of right now, come January 1st, 2024, if you send more than $10,000 worth of Bitcoin to another individual, they will have to collect your name, your address, and your social security number, or EIN. And if we pan over to Kuwait... They're basically just bringing it in line with the current Twitter policies. Okay. (laughs) Go over to Kuwait. (laughs) They're banning Bitcoin payments, investment, and mining outright. And this is so that they can come into basically compliance with FATF's AML requirements. So the Financial Action Task Force has struck again. Uh, Kuwait has decided they're just not going to let their citizens use Bitcoin, mine Bitcoin, invest in Bitcoin, receive Bitcoin, because they don't think that they can find a way to make it compliant with the Financial Action Task Force's AML requirements. And this is another example of the insanity of our current world. To remind you, Freaks Financial Action Task Force is an unelected, supranational regulatory body that is supposed to issue guidelines. It's the only thing it does is issue guidelines, but those guidelines typically get adopted in mass by the countries who want to participate in the global financial system. Here's an example of their guidelines forcing a country to prevent its citizens from accessing Bitcoin, which is the best money that humans have ever come into contact with. So something needs to be done about the Financial Action Task Force. I think we need more attention on the supranational unelected body of regulators who are forcing overburdensome KYC AML compliance on on the rest of the world. This is pretty sad to see. Uh, It's important to realize every time... Like we're going to read these headlines the way the headlines are written, um, but it's important to realize that companies can't ban big, uh, countries can't ban Bitcoin. Countries attempt Bitcoin bans. Uh, what that does is it drives everything into a black market, um, and hurts hurts the individuals of that country, and it hurts it hurts that country. Um, but the Bitcoin network is unaffected, and uh, the tools are available for people to uh, use Bitcoin. Uh, even in those situations, uh, extreme trade-offs were made for Bitcoin uh, to be resistant against government restrictions. So that's always important uh, to make clear here. Um, but yeah, it is it is unfortunate to see that that Kuwait is making this move. Yeah, Kuwait's a small country of 1.76 million people, or excuse me, 4.36 million people. It's GDP per capita. We have the government flying over me right now. They're coming in. They're coming in. GDP per capita is $24,300.33. This 
it seems like a nation that could use Bitcoin, you know, just cutting 4 million people off or attempting to cut 4 million people off from the ability to use Bitcoin. And again, bringing it back to the important point of this story, which is the Financial Action Task Force, there's needs to be some explanations. Why do they have so much influence over financial regulations in the world? Like nobody elected these people. Nobody asked for them. And now uh, I really don't like the distraction. You're not, you're literally not even looking at the camera. No, I'm, 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 I'm chuckling. Cause it's, it's, uh, I, 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 my head, I was just like, do we even live in a free country? Marty Bent was just like, like younger Marty Bent was just saying that in my head. And that's what I was chuckling at that. Not at, well, I was about to get to that and you distracted me with your, you being distracted. Look, every centralized institution will trend towards corruption and inefficiency on a long enough time scale. Age as old as humanity, tail as old as humanity. Um, <laughs> It is. It is that. That's that's the result. That will always happen. Uh, people need to stop being surprised. That is the case, uh, and we need to build tools that uh, don't operate under that assumption. And that is why Bitcoin is interesting to me. That's why Nostra is interest interesting to me. That's why the Greater Freedom Tech movement is interesting to me because the unfortunate reality is you just can't have faith in any of these in regulator regulation bodies like any kind of political apparatuses or the institutions that are, are like this weird combination. You have these like private quote unquote private institutions that are half captured by the governments, but then half captured the governments. They're just completely intertwined with each other now. And so we just have all these corrupt centralized institutions, whether you want to classify them as private or public intertwined with each other and, uh, and hurting us all. And and the, and the solution is to opt out. Yeah, the line is certainly blurring. And I'm not sure if anybody in the live chat or if you caught, caught it, Matt. I know I shared the link with you, but the hearing on the weaponization of the federal government here in the United States today uh, that went on on Capitol Hill, the I believe the GOP Judiciary Committee got together. They had RFK, uh, one of the lawyers on the case, that was brought against Biden out of Missouri um, about the Biden laptop. Uh, a uh, journalist from Breitbart who was at the New York Post when she released the Biden laptop report story right before the election in 2020. And then a representative from the ACLU uh, to discuss this topic. And it was actually pretty scary. I watched the whole thing. A freak shared it with me this morning before it went live and I had some time. So decided to watch it, went to the gym, was listening to it at the gym. And it's pretty scary the way, again, I'm not trying to be political here, but this is just an objective fact. The Democrats that were on this committee like could not answer. Well, the, the woman from the ACLU was sort of being favored by the Democrats and they were using her as sort of a scapegoat to project what they would like to see. And the, the Democrats on that committee were really pushing for the government to control speech, particularly on social media. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, cannot, like Matt said, depend on these institutions, whether they're looking to regulate the financial tracks, transactions or regulate speech to, to bring us for freedom. <laughs> like we, we do not live in a free country. 
It may be the freest <laughs> relative in the world, but I would argue that there's really no free countries left. We need to fight for our freedoms back. And this is why we work on Bitcoin. And this is why we work on distributed communications protocols like Noster, because here in the United States, which is the last stand for these inalienable rights, the power structure that is in charge right now seems dead set on eliminating free speech, which many would argue very strongly, in my opinion, that if, if you lose that, you, you lose all other rights at the end of the day. And many people within our government seem dead set on taking that right away and allowing the government to dictate what is good speech and what is bad speech. I agree. That is, uh, that is why the blue check is so dangerous. <laughs> All right. It's getting old. The, uh, I've only begun. I've only <laughs> barely started. <laughs> no, but I mean, we've talked about this before. It is really disheartening to see how far the ACLU has fallen, particularly. It used to be pretty staunch defenders of free speech. It was mentioned on Capitol Hill, the instance, I believe it was in Kansas in the 70s, where uh, you had literal Nazis marching through a Jewish town and the ACLU was there to defend the Nazis' rights to express their speech, even though they vehemently d disagreed with it. And the ACLU's posturing today is, is a far cry from that staunch defense of, of freedom of speech that they exhibited in the 70s and decades ago. Centralized institution. Yeah. I mean, there's a, like, when, when me and Price started OpenSats, people thought we were fucking crazy having nine board members. Like, who the fuck, what, are you going to try and get anything done? How are you going to get anything done with nine board members? Um, and it was a slog. It was a slog for two years. Uh, but I will say, I, I think there's very few people, at least within the org, uh, because maybe externally people don't realize yet, um, but they will. Um, within the org, everyone realizes like, oh, thank, thank God we have nine board members when we're deploying over $10 million into open source projects. Because you really reduce the power of any individual. Like you, you make that threshold for, for potential malicious change or corruption or whatever higher. Obviously, it's still possible. Um, but that's, that's where we should be trying to go with all these different things and with OpenSat specifically I mean the dream was not even to have a centralized institution uh, when Ben first proposed this uh, we first attempted me and Dennis Ryman first attempted to do bitcoindevilist.com which still exists but is a place where you can just directly donate uh, to devs and uh People didn't want to like choose where their money went. People wanted, you know, a essentially, you know, what happened with OpenSatch, which is a board that is basically vetting projects and allocating grants and making the decisions. They just want to support. You just want to send some money to support and and let you handle allocation. So anyway, where's the like long long story short? Uh, the point is, is there are certain facets of our lives, especially. Uh, maybe in the nearer future, maybe they become less necessary as time goes on, where where 
centralized institutions are almost necessary. But when those when we are in those situations, we should try, be trying to build those institutions to be as resistant to corruption as possible um, as the trade off. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard too because as much as you liked everything, like it's defining like what absolutely needs to be distributed and decentralized and what doesn't need to be, like what you just described with OpenSats and yeah. the problem that you guys originally ran into was like people people didn't want to pick individual projects. They would like to allocate, use division of labor to allocate that decision to people closer to the things going on on the ground to make educated decisions. And with that decision made by individuals, you guys at OpenSats was like, okay, like how can we make this as fault tolerant as possible? So we need a nine person board to make sure everybody's in check. And that's, I mean, going back to this freedom of speech subcommittee hearing that went on today, that's something I'm really excited about for Noster is when the people who are being censored for wrong things begin posting their stuff on Noster and there's literally nothing the government can do about it outside of trying to find the people running relays and pulling the plug on those servers. I think that's when things are going to get really interesting. Um, when all that stuff comes to Noster. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. I think that happens sooner rather than later. You already see like the this little like Twitter freedom of speech honeymoon thing is 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 going is going to be short lived. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but I've been using it less and less just because the qual the the quality of the service is deprecated. It's not worth the eight bucks. I might drop the blue check, not because. I'm worried about the blue check because the service is not worth $8 a month anymore. No comment. <laughs> they, they ruined TweetDeck, dude. It's really <laughs> fucked me up. That was my go-to source of entering the matrix to get my grasp on what's going on in the world. And they completely ruined the product. Marty, there's still an opening. When you get rid of the check, we'll welcome you to the resistance. <laughs> you, just can't, you can't you can't get the check again if you get the check again you're dead to us that's the policy dead okay yeah. all right noted moving on we didn't talk about splicing last week i don't think on the live rip did we but i do think it's something that is pretty important and even if we did talk about it we probably didn't do it the justice that it deserves but yeah, I think we barely spoke about it. I mean, Phoenix integrated it, which I think we touched on, which is massive because it's actually an end-user product. Yeah. So Phoenix So Phoenix is the wallet. Async is the parent company and then Eclair is the implementation of Lightning. So Async has the Phoenix wallet and then they work on the Eclair Lightning implementation. They announced the week before the summit that they added splicing to the implementation and therefore Phoenix was leveraging it in their mobile wallet. And when it comes to the UX around non-custodial lightning wallets and even custodial lightning wallets, just the UX of lightning overall, particularly around channel management, this is going to be massive when once more implementations rolled out, more wallets begin leveraging it because that's 
one of the big UX problems, particularly with Phoenix, that has existed since they launched is the need to open up many channels for individual users, which makes it more expensive for the end user and then more expensive for Phoenix as well to manage all those channels and have to pay for the engineering to be on top of that. And so in terms of the end user experience and the cost for both the user and the wallet provider, I think it's going to be a massive unlock and make the Lightning Network significantly more efficient if it gets adopted in mass. It's it's uh, it's the holy grail of easy self-custody mobile uh, Bitcoin plus Lightning UX, uh, which is what Moon solved for in a low-fee environment in a kind of hacky way. Uh, Phoenix has built over time to get to this point and they're in a much more sustainable position but it's the same end goal right which is uh single balance right you open up phoenix wallet and you just have a single balance you don't have to deal with any channel management and if you scan a lightning invoice or a, a bitcoin on chain uh, qr code or paste it in or whatever you can make the payment from a a, a unified source right like the end user shouldn't have to know um Am I am I paying on chain or am I paying lightning? They should just scan a QR code or paste in a payment request and be able to pay. Now the key difference is because of splicing. Uh, while Moon was on chain at rest, so when your wallet was just sitting there and you weren't receiving or spending, all your funds were kept on chain. If you received on lightning, it was a swap directly off chain, and vice versa. If you wanted to pay a lightning invoice. Uh, with Phoenix, all funds at rest are in a uh, lightning channel. Um, and then if you want to pay on chain, they'll do an on-demand splice that will splice it on, on, on chain. So if you receive lightning payments, they can use uh, splicing to increase your channel size instead of having to close out your channel like we used to have. Um, so yeah, it makes it all much more fee efficient, on-chain efficient, less on-chain transactions, period. Everything can stay on rest. You can have a unified balance. You can receive and send lightning and on-chain. Like I said, holy grail. Uh, really cool to see it in production and people actually be able to use it. I believe it's Phoenix is Android only for now. Uh, I'm not sure if they updated the iPhone app. They might have. I might be mistaken. Um, they, Android, they, announced they said it would be a few weeks after, so expect it next week or the week after. Really fucking awesome. So for Phoenix users, you can expect much of the same experience, but much lower fees is in practice what that kind of looks like. But um, it's it's really cool. It scales well when fees inevitably rise, when mempools never clear again. Um, and it's just, uh, it's just awesome to see. So shout out to the async team. I will say the async team, uh, who's also behind Phoenix, they're very interesting in, in the Lightning world because – they're very user focused. They have this one lightning implementation async that they develop and maintain and improve. Eclair. Um, yeah. Eclair async, I guess is the company or the organization. And, um, and then that powers Phoenix, which is their end user product, uh, on mobile. So really cool to see. Yeah. And should this create more efficient route paths too, right? Cause if you're making less and less smaller channels, just using a dynamic channel that can be upgraded on the on the go with this. I mean, there's a little bit 
there's a little bit of nuance, uh, which makes always talking about lightning self custody difficult. Uh, with with Phoenix and the way Async does it, there's still trust in them, and they do a really good job, by the way, on their website of explaining the trust model and explaining the trade offs. So if you do go to their website, uh, it is very straightforward. Um, they, they explain it in non-legalese. I hate when, uh, companies like just basically try and hide you in all this legal bullshit. Um, but, uh, all, all your channels are connected to their node. Um, so if the end user has one channel in this new splicing model that grows and shrinks versus the end user in the last, in the previous model has like 10 or 15 different channels with their node. Um, I don't really, uh, my guess is they probably can reduce failed payments, but but it probably doesn't really change route finding or or payment reliability that much, just because they know. You know, it's, you have that trust. They know all your channels, and they they have an extremely con- well connected node that has routes around the global lightning network. So um, that's a good point. It might it might improve a situation. These are all building blocks, right? And so, like, you could see a situation where there was a multi-LSP model where you have multiple Lightning service providers. So it's not just async you have a channel open to. And you have you have maybe one or two channels open to a couple different Lightning service providers. And then it gets a little bit uh, – then it, then it can get more interesting because you do reduce the number of channels you have to have open because you can increase channels and you can decrease channels on demand. Currently, just for the freaks, anyone who hasn't managed a lightning channel, a lightning node, a lightning channel is a two of two multisig. Uh, it's a collaborative transaction with your channel peer, whoever has the other node. Uh, you set the amount, how big that channel is. Five, let's say five million sat channel. If you want to increase the size of that channel or decrease the size of that channel in the future without splicing, pre-splicing, you had to close the channel do an on-chain transaction with your channel partner, close the channel, and then open a brand new channel with the new amount. With splicing, you don't have to do that. You can do it on demand. So it's taking what used to take two transactions and close and then open and putting it into a single transaction um, that that can be combined with other people's splice-ins and splice-outs as well. So you can have even more efficient uh, on-chain space. Yeah, That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. In terms of splicing, I believe Core Lightning and LDK have it on the roadmap to implement towards the end of this year. And then LND is working to get it in in 2024 at some point on their roadmap. So hopefully by the middle or end of 2024, all the major Lightning implementations should have splicing functionality available to their users and the UX particularly for non-custodial lightning wallet should improve massively. Shout out to D++ and Dusty have really been on the tip of pushing splicing into, into reality over the last many years. I know D++ and Dusty have been obsessed with splicing and pitching it for at least three years. I remember the first time I, I heard them talk about it. Yeah, I mean, we it was an honor. We had Dusty here uh, last week to do a, a splicing workshop that was packed. Um, so that's fucking awesome to see. So I, I, I second your shout-outs. Um, appreciate all the open-source contributors that helped make this stuff happen. 
Um, we do have someone in the live chat, um, John Delaney, asking if there's potential privacy improvements here with splicing. Um, my understanding is, yes, potentially. Uh, you could have a situation where um, like 100 people all splice at the same time. Um, and maybe you can have uh, different versions of that that break a bunch of heuristics that make it hard to track funds. Um, but it's a little bit above my pay grade. And also it's just a little bit out in terms of actual seeing it in practice. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Splicing. It's here. Shout out to and Phoenix. That, sorry. No, go ahead. Um, Tuttle said, uh, collaborative channel opening. I mean, I would say this is, uh, this would be like collaborative channel updating, uh, collaborative channel opening and, uh, not closing, I guess, I guess maybe if it's not a, yeah, if it's not a force close, you could do it on the close side too. Um, with like pay join and stuff is definitely possible. Uh, I don't think we've seen that in practice, but you can imagine a hundred people opening a channel at the same time. Um, and combining that with pay join, it, it could have some really interesting implications, but we haven't, we haven't actually seen that happen yet. And you would save money, which is, that's the key incentive. Yeah. So be aware freaks. It's out there again. Like I said, I, I think people outside of lightning really don't understand the amount of work that's been put in. That's always been the frustrating thing is similar it's a similar argument to no coiners that shit on Bitcoin for not being a stable store of value due to the price volatility. It's like, all right, like, do you really expect a new monetary good to monetize overnight without any volatility? No. <clears throat> Similarly with Lightning, it's like, do you expect a second layer protocol to launch and then have all the seamless functionality that is possible overnight? No. Like, we're five years in launched March of 2018. It's a little over five years and it's taken time for the individual implementations to mature, the development tools around building on Lightning to mature and people to get smart about how to interact with the Lightning network as efficiently as possible. And it does feel like five years in, the industry is getting its legs under it, getting really smart and has the tools at its fingertips to actually build really cool things that, that make it a somewhat seamless experience. And on that note, while we're talking about lightning, another big announcement at the summit last week was the mutiny while beta being open to the public. So obviously we've had the mutiny guys on Citadel dispatch, TFTC rabbit hole recap. Ben was on about a month and a half ago. Um, Shoegate. Shoegate. Shoegate part two. Had to shoe him out. That's why he came up with Muni Wallet. It was because of the shoe. You know what? If, if that's what it took to get these guys to build this wallet, um, happy and push them over the edge. So the public beta is open. Uh, disclaimer 1031 is invested in Mutiny Wallet, but I do think we should cover. Go I'm to 1031.vc sure. to see the full portfolio list. Yeah, but did you see the uh, the hoopla that P Fluffy Pony was putting out there this week? Yeah. I mean, he has a... <laughs> what are your thoughts on it, Marty? 
That's interesting. For anybody who didn't see it, Fluffy Pony came out basically trashing Mutiny Wallet for creating a browser wallet, which many in the space uh, really don't like because you keep your private keys in the browser and it's how do you protect that. And you can see the argument, but I think the Mutiny guys do a really good job of marketing Mutiny as, hey, this is a spending wallet. Don't put more than you're willing to lose. And when it comes to attacking individual wallets that are running on somebody's mobile browser. I think maybe the ease of the attack is, is it's made to seem more easy than would actually be possible. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to dismiss his claims. First of all, uh, uh, Fluffy is uh, most known for being a former lead maintainer of the Monero project. Um, he also uh, is one of, I believe, the co-founders uh, of, I think it's called mymonero.com, um, which is a web wallet. Uh, so he has run a web wallet for Monero for a long fucking time. Um, they also have a local version uh, that they encourage people to use, but they still support the web version. Um, and there are various different attacks, including an attack where we've, we've talked at length, at least on dispatch, we've talked at length, uh, before mutiny was even launched, uh, which is this idea of mutiny. Uh, one of the cool parts of having a web app is that you can just update at will to all users, um, without app store permission or anything like that. And that also means they can release a malicious update, uh, where they rug pull user funds. Um, because updates are can be security holes. That's why people aren't supposed. To, that's why we don't have auto update on Bitcoin Core. Um, so there are risks. There are plenty of risks. His big risk was a phishing risk, which you know is, is that's what always it's like. It sounds so stupid, right? But like, yeah, like someone just goes to the wrong MutinyWallet.com, uh, like a scam on on Google or whatever. You search MutinyWallet, and the top one is like the I in Mutiny Wallet is a is a L or the L is a capital I or there's two L's in there and an I, um, which are easy to fake. So phishing attacks can happen. Um, look, I think everything has trade-offs. I think the important thing is that they're very clear about the trade-offs. It's really cool that you can just load it in a mobile browser, uh, particularly in a world where maybe Apple starts blocking and says that you can't have, um, iPhone Bitcoin wallets, we've seen that in the past. They have done that in the past. They have full control over what you install on an iPhone. We've seen that with Domus, the Nostra client, because they had Bitcoin payments linked in and Apple wanted their 30% cut. Um, so it's well within the realm of possibility. Uh, they are aware of this risk. They are going to also be releasing local apps uh, on iPhone and Android um, and a separate Android APK if you want to install outside of the App Store on Android. So they're covering all their bases there, and and the the web wallet is is just an option on top of that. But uh, there are definitely risks inherent in 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 using a web wallet. The attack surface is is quite large. Um, but yeah, I mean it's just educated trade offs to make. And I would say like, if you look at uh, a lot of Lightning adoption, it has been with closed source custodial wallets like Wallet of Satoshi. So. Um, you know, 
there's a wide spectrum of trade-offs that can be made, and I think people should weigh them off of each other and 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 make the decision that's best for them. Um, but from a strictly security point of view, the the local mobile apps will be will be more secure for the aforementioned reasons. Yeah, it's a hot wallet. Browser wallet's a hot wallet. Be aware. Your mic's fucking up again. Are we good now? Now. God damn it. Marty says, can, can Marty hear me? I can. I can. You just cut off completely now. I heard you for a second. Um, we good now? Yeah. But yeah, I think immunity is cool. I mean, immunity is cool besides the PWA aspect. When we say PWA, I mean progressive web app. This idea that you get like an app-like experience on your phone when you press add to home screen, even though it's running in your browser. Um Mutiny is is incredibly interesting uh, besides that aspect. Um, and if you install it on Android or iPhone, it will remain incredibly interesting. But I think there's something also very powerful that you can simply host it in a browser. One thing that they did mention last time on Dispatch is because uh, they are open sourcing their entire stack, um, you can self-host it. So um, when I had them on for talked about Mutiny last last time on Dispatch, I actually bought OdellWallet.com um, because I could host my own instance of Mutiny Wallet for friends and family or whoever I want to use uh, can use OdellWallet.com instead. Um, and then you you know that changes the risk trade off a little bit and diversifies uh, central points of failure if you have many different Mutiny Wallet instances. And I will just say um, that is one thing that has is very unique about 1031 in this space, uh, that, that we encourage and support our portfolio companies to open source uh, their entire stacks and uh, compete within open systems, which I think is very rare um, in the investor world. Agreed. Speaking of which, Next thing on the list is Primal. They announced their <clears throat> launch in the App Store, uh, or in Test Flight, excuse me, <clears throat> on iOS um, and Android, and the fact that they've open sourced their stack. So Primal is a bunch of things, one of which is a Nostra client. Uh, they've also built a very robust open and open sourced uh, caching system for relays, Million. Uh, made this announcement at the summit last week. This is another portfolio company within the 1031 family that we're very excited about. Um, and just as a Nostra user, more generally taking my 1031 hat off, I'm very excited about this because the experience is pretty top-notch. Yeah, so um, I had Milian, uh, the founder of Primal on Silla Dispatch uh, last week. So if you haven't heard that, consider going and listening to that. Um, but yeah, we're very excited about this. This is our this is the first company in the Nostra ecosystem that we are supporting through 1031. Um, I'm very excited about him and his team. They're incredibly professional. Uh, they're, they ship. Uh, it's amazing uh, what they've... Uh, 
what they've what they've pushed out in such a short amount of time. It's only been a matter of months. Um, and I'm very proud of them for open sourcing the entire stack. They 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 do understand that Nostra is bigger than any individual company. Um, that it's important, uh, especially in these early days, um, for innovation to be open and uh, readily available for anyone in the public to build. Uh, Nostra has insane dev mindshare. Um, some people might be questioning. Is, is is Nostra being adopted quickly? Is it being adopted at scale? But if you measure it from a dev point of view, uh, devs are extremely excited about Nostra and they're extremely excited about all these different tools they can build on top of, including the open protocol that is Nostra itself that's completely open source. So for Primal, first of all, to come up with this caching service, um, which makes Nostra via Primal, via these caching services, uh, more performant than centralized social media. So your feed and whatnot loads quicker than Twitter does already this early on. Um, but to open source that so that it's not a competitive advantage for Primal, but instead something that benefits the entire Nostra ecosystem ha- is, is, is incredibly low time preference and long-term minded. Um, and is exactly what we want to see from from as many Nostra companies as possible, particularly in these early days. So anyone can build on top of this caching service. Anyone can run the caching service. The idea is the caching service provides you additional performance without making it a centralized, trusted point of failure. Uh, so you still do verify off of the distributed set of relays. Um, I believe that's not actually in place in Primal yet, but that is the the concept and the plan. Uh, moving forward, we talk, like I said, we talked about it at length on Sil Dispatch. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited about Primal. I'm very excited about Nostr. The freaks know I'm very excited about Nostr. Um, and just more and more of my individual focus uh, will be dedicated to Nostr. Uh, I think it's going to be an instrumental part of the, of the greater uh, freedom tech movement alongside Bitcoin. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Also, Primal announced iOS test flight. Um, so if you, I don't, primal.net slash downloads, um, you can download it there. And that's the iPhone beta. And then the Android beta is also out. The Android beta is view only. Uh, you can sign in uh, with your Nostra private key, but you cannot actually, you know, like a post, zap a post, post, but you can only view. Uh, it's still early days to so the Android set. I will say, I don't know if this is public information or not, but I'm going to say it anyway. So sorry ahead of time, Milan. Um, they have two separate teams working on Android and iPhone simultaneously. So it's not like one is, uh, it's not like they're prioritizing iOS over Android. Those teams are working at their own at their own speeds as quick as possible. Uh, but I I love to see that that you just have you have two native apps that are being built out simultaneously, parallel, different teams. Um, and then, of course, they have their web app, uh, which you do need to use an extension uh, to use. I, I like, briefly, I like mentioned that I used Primal last week and a bunch of freaks reached out to me personally. It's like, I can't figure out how to sign in. If you're using the web app, you need to have Albi or NoS 2X or one of those Nostra extensions installed and then it'll just pop up asking you if you want to log in. Yeah, Albi, no S2X, um, Collider is another one. Zach's asking in the comments, can you log in from Primal Web or just from the app on the web? Like Matt said, you need these extensions that have your keys in them. 
Um, yeah, it's really exciting to see the pace of growth in Noster. Like many people, again, are shitting on it. I saw Dan held referencing the usage numbers and how they fell recently. But, not a bug. But, but Dan again, doesn't like it. I mean, it's with all these things, whether it's Bitcoin, Lightning, Noster. People are so goddamn impatient these days. They're like, oh, it's not perfect out of the box. Like, it's it's going to fail. It's like these things, we're building cathedrals here, freaks. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take hard work. It's going to take entrepreneurs like Millian, companies like Primal, like Zap.Stream. The fact that we're streaming right now, like just looking at the progress that Zap.Stream has made over the last two weeks since we first live streamed is incredible. Like we've got 630,500 sats in donations and I can see it right here. The chat seems much more performant. It seems like we can track the zaps on the live stream much better than we could two weeks ago. And just think about that, like primal, like it's, it's a specific client to access like Twitter, like notes and eventually long form content and zap.stream or live streaming a video to fucking people over this new protocol, like the pace of change and innovation that's happening on top of Noster is pretty mind blowing. If you're willing to be patient and try to understand and internalize that this is going to take time. It's going to take a bunch of people building stuff. Gradually. Then suddenly I will say I, my focus there was on the caching service. Uh, but primal open source, the entire stack. So the actual clients at the back end and the caching service, uh, which is impressive and should be applauded. Uh, but yeah. I agree. I agree a hundred percent on Noster. I mean, um, and that's in prep for my Cody interview. I was diving into like the intersection of AI and Noster. Pablo, either highlighter or whisper, one of the things he's working on, like the he had like an Pablo AI bot and things. He, he like hired an AI bot to write a transcription of a video, and he he had AI bots competing and trying to compete on price to get a transit transcription to him and it was happened in seconds it was pretty crazy yeah. that's what's gonna i mean the it's it's ai communicating with noster and paying with bitcoin that yeah. is that is the trend we're gonna see um that's what i expect to win at the end of the day there'll be all these different shit coins and closed apis and all this shit mixed in in the short term but long term it's going to be noster ai and bitcoin all combined um and I, I don't think we can really comprehend what those implications are. Um, it makes logical sense. You're going you're gonna to use a censorship-resistant communication protocol um, that, that AIs can interact with directly, and you're going to use a censorship-resistant payment protocol that AIs can interact and use with directly. Um, there's no second best. It makes no other sense. Otherwise, that should be what we expect. Um, and I would just say, last but not least... Um, some people are building cathedrals, uh, but Dan Held is working on V2 of his, uh, 20 tweet thread explaining his node case that has a big H on it. <laughs> no comment. Uh, Logan, do you have zap.stream up? I, I don't, um, get it up. Just go to zap.stream. 
mute it before you bring it up. But I, no, I do think people watching this on YouTube or Twitter should see the interface. I mean, it's pretty comparable with everything that's going on. on yeah, those other it uses Nostra pub keys for logins and it uses lightning addresses for payments. It has this nice clean chat. Um, and anyone who's streaming can just stream to it using the standard RTMP pr- protocol. Um, oh. Marty, did you, see my, did you see my goal? 2.1 million sure. sets. I like that. But the title of the goal is not sure how this works, LOL. That was like the sixth <laughs> time I pressed set goal. <laughs> and that, that was the one that registered. We're going to start recursing here. Fair okay. enough. You can take it off. I just needed them. But that's zap.stream. That's the website. Yeah. It's Brave New World, freaks. And if you're listening on zap.stream, you're on the cutting edge. How's it feel to be on the cutting edge, Matt? Well, that's what I was going to say earlier, but then I got distracted. Um, like, Noster feels like what I imagine it would have felt like to be early days to Bitcoin. And, like, we did not have the privilege of that. Um, so it's cool to be here for it. Yeah. When do you think the mainstream starts taking notice? I think, so like I, uh, Peter wanted to talk on what Bitcoin did about Bitcoin and I just completely derailed him. Uh, so my most recent, I have a double header on what Bitcoin did. Uh, but the first episode, uh, that came out was just all Nostra focused. Um, and I think, and I go into this in the episode, that's why I brought it up, but I, I think that uh, Noster right now is obviously being adopted less than Bitcoin. Bitcoin has had, you know, over a decade head start. Um, I think Noster flips Bitcoin in adoption at some point. And I think then it starts actually... This is the real flipping Yeah, I think it actually starts introducing people to Bitcoin because Bitcoin is natively built into Noster. So when people start using Noster as a social media alternative, Noster can be used for so much more than that. It's a communication protocol. Um, But when people start using Noster as a social media alternative and their shit posts and their glamour shots and them going out to dinner and stuff like earns them freedom money and they make Bitcoin for the first time, um, that is going to be, I think, the introduction for billions of people to Bitcoin. And, and why do I think Noster ends up being that top of funnel, even though it's less adopted than Bitcoin right now, is because for better or worse, our society is completely addicted to social media and spends nine hours, 10 hours a day on social media. And for better or for worse, most people tend to think, at least in America and the developed world, that our payments infrastructure and that our money and our currencies are strong and they trust them and they just use Venmo and they... They just use PayPal. They use Citibank. They use all their banks. They're going to start using FedNow. They're going to use Twitter bucks. Um, they feel like that's strong. But on the social media side, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain points. Uh, on the influencer side, influencers are completely captured. I think a lot of the smart influencers realize it. I think on the user side, people are feeling censorship. They're feeling friction. Um, you know, there, there's, there's all these different pain points that people feel with social media and there's, they're spending nine hours a day on it, 10 hours a day on it. Now, I think there's obviously a whole argument that people shouldn't be addicted to social media and that we need to push back on that from a societal perspective, but regardless, that's not going to happen anytime soon. And I think as people start to have issues, um, 
with the centralized counterparts, they'll move to Nostra and Nostra will just be a better product. It won't just, you know, they, they won't be moving to it because they think it's freedom tech. They'll be moving to it because they use TikTok and they use Twitter and then they installed threads and then they did this and Snapchat and they've installed whatever new app that the kids these days are using that we don't even know about yet. And they just didn't like any of them and they installed Nostra and it's fast and they were, you know, they can receive money directly in it and they don't have to provide any identity information. And if they get banned from the app, they can just load up their phrase into another app and they're still good to go. And I think like that'll just be intuitive to people and it'll just fucking click. Agreed. And to your point about social media addiction, completely agree. I mean, I'm guilty of it. Have in the past. I've been trying to get better and I do think since I've been down the shore, I mean, obviously there's a lot of good distractions down here, particularly going outside, going to the beach, but yeah, no, you have to make a concerted effort to put the phone down, to put your laptop screen down. I recommend walking. I've been walking so goddamn much down here, but averaging like 16,000 steps a day. And it's, it feels better. I feel healthier. I feel clearer. My mind feels clear, but it, takes effort freaks i will i i i agree um no one's gonna save you you have to save yourself yes um i've been actively trying to practice that for years and i'm fortunate enough that my wife uh always holds me to a higher standard so i've never satisfied her demands um and i'm continuing to improve um find a good wife my wife is the same way she's she her move is just to go click, click, click. I'm like, what? God damn it. All right. Phone down. Um, yeah, that's really good. That's effective. Uh so shout out to our wonderful wives. Um I see John Delaney in the comments. I'm actually it's gonna be really fun on RHR. Um, because I do agree with you. Um, I think OnlyFans and porn is going to be a massive use case for Noster, and Marty like is going to have to deal with that live on air, and it's going to be it's going to be difficult for him. He's going to have to battle with it. He's going to realize that when it comes to Freedom Tech, you know, you just you don't have a choice. You take no, you don't have a choice. But this, you can't control who speaks. No, but again, you don't. You do have a choice in terms of do you feed that demonic activity. Like the the porn, you, you could choose not to watch it, but you can't yeah, choose exactly. it. Post no, I mean, there's gonna be a lot of porn. I will be trying to mute it. I will be muting it as to the best of my ability. <laughs> no, but I'm dead serious. Porn is. I know you like to joke about it. I do think deep down you agree with me that it's acidic to the fabric of society. It does not. Literally, there's been studies done. It ruins your brain and your dopamine receptors and how you view relationships with people like, yeah, similarly to putting the social media apps down, you're going to have to do that with porn too. If you're out there and you're a coomer, like make the decision. You have to starve that beast too. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. <laughs> I definitely, <laughs> I definitely agree with that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think like, I mean, what we, we saw on OnlyFans, I believe they, I like, I'm, Never installed the app in my life. No idea how it works. I believe I saw headlines that said that they, uh, through Visa and MasterCard, like they chose certain content as like too lewd and can't be on OnlyFans. Like they cracked down on porn, which was like their main use case. Um, 
And obviously freedom tech is an alternative to that where you don't have, you, you see it on the fringes always, right? Um, where things that are getting censored tend to be controversial. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So I, I, ex- I expect Noster and, and Bitcoin to be a bigger and bigger part of that uh, ecosystem and that economy. But uh, the beauty of something like, the beauty of these clients, right, which is how you interact with Noster, is that it's supposed to be giving tools to the end user. So instead of trying to centrally control what is good speech and what is bad speech, uh, the user should be able to uh, dictate what kind of experience that they want to have using these clients, um, what relays they pull from, uh, you know, what kind of moderation lists they might choose to opt into. Um, what algorithms they want to use. This is not an end of algorithms. This is uh, the beginning of algorithm choice. Instead of just being uh, part of Twitter's algorithm, you get to choose if you want to use an algorithm when you interact with the protocol. And people that are viewing your posts might be using a different algorithm and they might be choosing to use whatever they want to do. So pulling that control from a centralized um a centralized actor to the end user and letting the end user control how they interact is the future. Um, and it's the only way you can actually protect freedom and, and not, not overstep and squash individual rights um, while maintaining good experiences on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy how, Bitcoin enables a lot of this, like your own algorithm, your own AI. Cody, during his Fediment workshop, his demo last week, that's one thing. We went into the AI for all Fedit uh, Mint and like one of the tools they have there is LN Chat um, where you can access Chat GPT. But then he explains like, yeah, within these individual mints, you'll be able to crowdsource funds to get a, a farm of GPUs that the the mint will use to create like their own AI bots that they own. They don't have to depend on ChatGPT. They can use open source AI like uh is it Lambda at Facebook open source. Llama, right? Llama. I think it's Llama or Lambda. Um I'm sure it's Llama. Yeah. But this is if you go back, I mean this is years ago. If you go back to the episode I did with Paul, a toy on TFTC, I mean, he explains that fleshed out vision in depth in that episode. And, and again, like the combination of Bitcoin, Noster, um, particularly NAI is going to be powerful. And like Matt said, it's going to give power back to the users. You're not going to be beholden to the technocrats of the world anymore. Like, that's another thing, putting this in context, too. Like, social media is, what, 15 years old? 16, 17 years old, maybe? Like, in the long line of history, we're going to look back at these last 15 to 20 years and say, wow, that was that was a really interesting blip on the timeline of history. We really fucked up social media, but luckily, people thought about the problem long enough, experienced enough problems themselves and then creatively found new solutions that combined a bunch of open source freedom tech to make it ha- make it happen and make the world a better place like again i'm another thing that really 
I really took away from last week. I, I'm more optimistic than I ever been. Like Marty Jones is deep in his cage right now. Like, yes, these people want to kill us. They hate us. You are the carbon they want to eliminate, but we've never been in a position to fight back with more potent tools than we are today, which is extremely optimistic. Like you don't have to worry about all that bullshit anymore. You can just go build the better future. Damn right. Um, we only have one thing left on the list. It's something I added, uh, which has to do with the commercial real estate market. Um, so thinking about Bitcoin in the macro context, I think this is something that we should definitely be paying attention to. It seems that the commercial real estate market here in the U.S. is beginning to roll over. Uh, we had therealdeal.com. Post an article earlier this week, the second quarter of this year, saw $25 billion worth of troubled property uh, emerge, which is a 36% jump over Q1 of this year. So many people have been pointing to commercial real estate, uh, specifically after the COVID lockdowns and saying, hey, something's got to break there. Um, and it seems like it's beginning to break in the commercial real estate markets. And then I have this, Logan, pull up the uh, the blurb from that Peter St. Ange Substack post um, screenshot. That one. So this is the office availability rates in particular cities throughout the U.S. San Francisco is around 33%, which is massive. Uh, Atlanta is at 31%. But there's a particular – I took another like, screenshot, Logan, and put it in there. Manhattan is lower than I expected. Yeah, Boston holding strong. I mean, I love how like 17% vacancy is strong, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so I thought this paragraph in Peter's post was pretty interesting. As the money dries up, commercial real estate prices are now plunging with institutional quality offices losing 27% in the past year. Apartment buildings are down 21% and malls are down 18%. San Francisco's office vacancy rate is now 32.7%. Pre-pandemic, it was 4%. That's pretty insane. It was 4% pre-pandemic, 32.7% now. Um, a recent study from Berkeley found cell phone traffic is actually down 70% in San Francisco compared to pre-pandemic. And so that's going to be, I mean, the commercial real estate market is a pretty massive market. And in many major cities, San Francisco, most pronounced, it seems to be turning over. So it will be interesting to see how systemic the commercial real estate issue is, um, whether or not that cascades into a problem. Obviously, we had the banking crisis bubble up earlier this year, and there's expectations that it will begin to bubble up again towards the end of this year. And I think a lot of people thought these problems were isolated to the banking sector, but obviously real estate, more particularly commercial real estate, could add some fuel to the fire of the economic turmoil that we've seen this year. Investment real estate is a shit coin. It is. If, uh, there were very strong arguments to own your own citadel and own your own home. Um, but there's nuances there, uh, depending on your current situation and your threat model. But investment real estate is objectively a shit coin. And uh, few understand this. And all that money is going to flood into Bitcoin because it's a significantly better place to put your money um, than than buying buying real estate for cash flow. 
Um, you know, the office space situation is going to be really fucking interesting to 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 watch unfold. Um, I don't pretend to know uh, how, like, how that affects the rest of the economy, and and more specifically, like, how does it affect Bitcoin? Um, because that's what I really care about, since uh, my family is 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 all in on Bitcoin. Um, but it's it's an interesting dichotomy because there is it seems like there's a little bit of a there's a fork in the road between office space uh, and residential for sure, and then I I like there's a little bit of fork there too in terms of retail, right? So uh, t, you know TJ Maxx or or a smaller store, some kind of like uh, restaurant or something like that. Um, and obviously restaurants have their own issues. All these, all these different businesses have rising costs with inflation. Um, I don't know. It's, it should be really interesting to play out, but specifically like the, can you imagine if you're holding that shit coin bag of like primo, primo, like San Francisco or New York, uh, office space and specifically San Francisco, like San Francisco is a straight up failed city right now. Um, and It's last a, it's month. A what go on? Last month, Hilton, which I think has like one of the top four star hotels in San Francisco, just walked away from their loan. I think it was like seven hundred and twenty-seven million dollars. Your mic's fucking up again. Um, but yes, we heard that, and I, yeah, I, I just, and it's among this greater trend of of working remote and hiring employees that live in cheaper locales and cheaper cost of living areas. Um, you combine all that together and COVID just kind of the COVID response of closing down everything kind of just amplified and accelerated everything. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, like on the surface, like one of the things is people love putting out there is residential conversions. Oh, okay. You know, Manhattan has a shit ton of office space. Like Manhattan was on the lower end of that chart you put, but it was still 20%, 20% vacancy rate. But at the same time, rents are at all time highs. Uh, the actual residential stock is is completely filled, uh, and there's a, there's a shortage of of apartments for rent. So you know um, the the obvious leap is to go oh well like let's convert some of this nice office space to residential space. It's not that easy. Like well, first of all, like the zoning laws need to change, and the zoning laws are just straight criminal, really bad policy. Um, with horrible repercussions that are just aligned with years and years of corruption. But like, think about how an office building is set up. Uh, you need bathrooms for all your apartments and you need light and air for your bedrooms. You need actual windows so someone's not sleeping in a fucking box in the middle of a fucking huge-ass office building. And it's, it's a process. It takes time. It takes money. It takes, it takes ex- significant investment in terms of time and energy and capital. Um, so it's, it's, it's easier said than done just as an FYI, a lot of, I hear that all the time. It's like, Oh, let's just convert it. Let's just convert it to residential. It, it makes sense in practice, but it makes sense in theory, but in practice, it's quite a hurdle. They're going to bring back the apartments with shared bathrooms. You go down, you have your, your, your living pod, then you go down the hall. <laughs> you take a dump next to your, your neighbor, Larry. Say good morning. Yeah. I uh the the harder part is shared bathrooms can work. 
the the harder part is the light and air for the bedrooms oh. uh, and i just i i mean i do think that that uh the blue checks are ushering us into a life of uh vision pros that you like wear around your face and just live in the pod for the rest of your life um but i think for at least the short term to medium term uh we're not going to see any regulation change on because uh, that's the reason the only reason people get light and air for their bedrooms like you know i talk about less government reach and whatnot but in these big cities like if the government didn't force you to provide light and air for people's bedrooms like a lot of landlords would just not like there would just, there would just be buildings there would just be buildings with no windows, and you'd just be in the middle of some building at like whatever the market rate was, and you just have no light in there. Um, we don't have windows, but the apartment comes with a VR headset. It's been used <laughs> by everybody who's lived in this apartment before. Simulated you. windows, simulated it's, light in. It's got one app, and it looks out on a second app in New York City. It's not even anywhere close to the avenue that you live on. But we've got a 24-hour live stream of a summer day. We're going to give you a summer day. You just put on the VR goggles, and you'll see a summer day of Second Ave on the Upper East Side. Yeah, I think they had like a they had a black mirror about that when it was good uh, before they like completely shut the bed. But like I could see us going to that direction. Um, Again, I'm optimistic. I think we're gonna I think we're gonna beat this. But yeah, investment real estate is a shitcoin. Think about it compared to Bitcoin. Real estate, obviously due to the fiat system has been used as a store of value to outpace inflation and with investment real estate, hopefully produce revenues that not only outpace inflation, but make you some money. But when you consider all the maintenance, all the taxes, all the zoning bureaucracy bullshit you have to put up with all the individual tenants you have to put up with the haggling for, for rent, like why would you go through all that when you could just save in Bitcoin and usher in a deflationary currency that doesn't force you to do all that bullshit just to save your money. Yeah, anyone who's anyone who's owned investment real estate knows it's a shitcoin. Yeah. They and if they don't, they're just lying to themselves. Like it's a fucking headache. The only yeah. people that tell you that it's like this amazing investment is like the there's like a whole brew of real estate influencers. Yeah. No, but I do think I think like Jerome Powell and everybody in the banking industry understands that this problem is likely growing into a systemic one. And in the f spring of this year, late winter, early spring, when the banking crisis were go was going on, similar to 2007, 2008, where back then Bernanke was like, no, this is isolated. I think the powers that be were trying to proclaim that the banking crisis was isolated to, to the few banks that blew up. But it's hard not to imagine that this doesn't cascade into some sort of systemic crisis that pulls in a bunch of different areas of the economy. The bank runs will continue and mempools will never clear. What was the one uh, title you wanted to? I think what? Logan had a title. Million, we, we threw in all the million dollar Bitcoin. Oh, yeah, it, was, it was Logan's title, a million dollar Bitcoin when the bank runs stop continuing. <laughs> Maybe next week. It's the it's the combined title. You combine yeah. all the memes. And we had to put mempools don't clear in there in some kind of blue check reference and we would have nailed it. 
I'm going to check no bullshit for any software updates we should probably mention. Um, yeah, I think you can press updates or releases on there and it'll give you just what? those. Lightning Terminal version 0.10.2 alpha has been released. My node version 0.3.19 has been released. RBG Core version 0.10.5 and RGB Explorer has been released. Uh, the Bolts web app version 1.0.1 and backend version 3.2.1. Routability and other improvements has been released. Torque, T-O-R-Q, version 1.0.3 has been released. It's got workflow improvements, HTLC firewalls, subscriptions, and more. Nunchuck, Android version 1.9.33 has been released, and iOS version 1.9.28 has been released. And BDK version 1.0.0 alpha has been released. Be aware, it's an experimental release. Why are you stopping there? Uh, Mercury Wallet version 0. I didn't see the day. I don't know how. I see it's July 19th now. Mercury Wallet. We're like two days ago. Yeah. (laughs) Version 0.9.0 alpha non-custodial lightning wallet has been released. That's cool to see from them. Um, Minibits wallet mobile eCash wallet with focus on usability launched uh, BitKit version 1.0.0 beta 0.60 has been released Sparrow wallet version 1.7.8 has been released they've got taproot message signing and more uh, HODL HODL shout out to HODL HODL their lending platform got a redesign so they got new offer pages and improved navigation fully noted Bitcoin Core version 1.0.1 has been released. BitBanana version 0.6.5 has been released. NerdMiner version 1.5.2 has been released. Blixed Wallet 101 cross-platform non-custodial Lightning Wallet launched. And then Ostrich.Work, first Nostra native jobs board using classifieds NIP has launched and then Blockstream Satellite version 2.4.6 has been released and I'm stopping there. Wait, wait, you have three more and then we're up to date. Peach Bitcoin V0.2.11 adds liquid tether. Uh, Breeze SDK Core V0.1.2 optimization, simpler API and more. And then Amethyst, which is the main Android client. Most, the main, the majority used Nostra client on Android has added classifies and settings page. Um, damn, that a lot of shit happened in terms of software updates. Telling you, it's happening. Oh, and before I forget, we got to read boost for the last two weeks. So we go to our live rip, Rabbit Hole Recap 261 live from Nashville, Lightning Summit, top five boost at Eric 99, 50,000 sats. Matt. Can I get a no bugs, no pod, no blue chat at question mark? What, from Eric? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Great, and great advice, Eric, by the way. Ride or die freak. Oh, wait, don't say it yet. Uh, second top boost from Eric99, 50,000 sats. Stay humble, stack sats. Oh, did he not say stay humble, stack sats on the previous one? No, he sent two boosts. Oh, I heard Eric99, I just assumed that's what he said. Okay, great advice. At blockchain bug, 5,000 sats, thumbs up. At Mahu ninety three, 
2,500 sats. When Chicago? Stay humble and stack sats. Soon, Chicago, really. eventually. Two some weeks. point. Uh, then top four boost from Rabbit Hole Recap, 260. Larry Fink comes out of the closet. That was a funny one. That one was worth the wait. Larry's out of the closet, and he has no idea how Bitcoin works or what it means. He wait, was, you, he just read, you read from two ag- from three ago? No, from the Lightning Summit. Oh, you read yeah. Lightning Summit first, and now we're reading out of the closet. Yeah. yeah. I Someone uh, someone at the Lightning Summit asked me, like, I didn't know he was gay. I was like, I guess you didn't listen to the episode. <laughs> I think, who knows, he may be gay, he may be closeted gay, but he's not closeted Bitcoiner anymore. Actually, he may still be. He, doesn't, he has no idea. That CNBC interview he did last week, it was like very clear that he was fed some talking points. And... There's plenty of Bitcoiners that don't know anything. Yeah. Still a Bitcoiner. Top boost from RIP260 at Zman60. 100,000 sats to any other boomers listening. Stay humble, sell bonds, and stack sats. Very good advice. Great advice. Bonds are bonds. Great, great boomer advice. At 8 Myth Randir. 55,555 sats. You can now clone offers in the latest BISC release, 1.9.12. Cloning an offer allows offer makers to use the same security deposit for multiple offers. Here's a guide to cloning offers. BISC.wiki slash cloning underscore N underscore offer. N. A-N. Shout out to Thanks. 8 Miss Randir. At Cum Rocket, 42,069 sats. Do the Bitcoin. Stay humble, stack sats. Great Thanks, Cum Rocket. And last but not least, at Mahu 93, 25,000 sats. I shook my rancher's hand today. It was a great experience for any freaks who haven't done so yet. Stay humble and stack sats. Co sign that message. Go shake your rancher's hands. See if they're accepting Bitcoin. Educate them if they're open to it. We're going to win. I'm feeling very optimistic. Maybe it's all the sun I've been getting. Maybe it's all the walking I've been doing. Maybe it's getting together with Bitcoiners. I'm feeling good right now. Being with Bitcoiners always makes me very optimistic. Um, But no, I do feel like this is like a little bit of the calm before the storm of the next cycle. Uh, I mean, besides the halving, which is obviously not priced in. Because it never is. Um, We also have BlackRock and all this different macro turmoil all kind of coming together at the same time. It should be fucking... It's going to be fucking crazy. This next cycle is going to be crazy and I'm just trying to... I'm not getting much sleep already and I'm trying to get as much sleep as possible to prepare for it. You you Uh, know what could help? What? Is reducing the amount of blue light in your life getting rid of a couple of those monitors right in front of you right now. You, I can see you getting raped with blue light right now. You know, it's even worse. This I never use a fucking like ring light or whatever. And this is like, I got this like light set up here. Yeah. We're, you're going to have to make up up. It's like looking a little greasy under your eyes right now with that light. I think next, next week I might just, you know, use the laptop on top of a pile of books just for nostalgia's sake and just bring it back. Um, you know, I wanted to kind of just talk really quick about um, apartments with no windows. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm down. Because this is a topic that I've thought about in the past, and it was the first time it came up. Did I lose you? No, I'm here. Um, it froze up for a second. I was like, I guess I can't talk about it. Uh, and I think, and I saw some comments in the 
I saw some comments about the earlier uh, thread conversation. Um, I think ultimately, if you let the free market decide, there's going to be a lot of apartments without windows. And I think that is fine. Um, I think you end up with a much more efficient real estate market um, where, you know, people are able to get apartments at a much lower price um, and demand meets supply. And, and you, you actually don't have these kind of artificial shortages that you see um, because of overregulation and, and particularly the top real estate markets in the, in the country and the world. Um, but like, it's, in, it's an interesting uh mine to go down because if you want to talk about it's a it's a regulation touch point that a lot of uh of people have a firsthand uh touch point with which is like um you know you'd want your bedroom to have windows um but yeah i think as you know that's uh what, like what do you what do you think about that as a regulation versus free markets kind of case study is this idea of uh localities or jurisdictions saying um this is you if, if you want to and obviously the windows is like a very easy explanation like a very easy example but also you know plumbing standards and uh all, the, all these other standards that that regulators require of of different housing projects uh versus <laughs> let the free market decide and uh if you're in hong kong and you want to pay less amount of money, it means you're just living in a shoebox with no lighter air. Yeah, I mean, all for the free market. Again, it would come back to the advice we gave earlier, which is you've got to get yourself out of this stuff, whether it's off social media, off porn, or out of the apartment with no windows. <laughs> it's conscious decisions that you'll make. Yeah, I can definitely see it come to market. I mean, I essentially lived in an apartment with no windows when we first moved to Williamsburg, it had windows, but it was on a first floor apartment, like on the ground floor, looking right outside of Metropolitan Ave. And we never opened them. And yeah, that was a pretty depressing year. Yeah. But yeah. Those are legal. Yeah. But like, you it's chose the closest, to open them. I guess it's the closest. Well, yeah. First floor deep in East Williamsburg. Not going to yeah. keep the, the windows open all day. I don't know. It's an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting thought experiment, because obviously, like, I wouldn't want anyone I cared about to live in a room with no windows. But at the end of the day, if there's a market for it, there's a market for it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Again, it comes. At the end of the day, it's people you love and care about. It's convincing them, hey, you need to make the conscious decision. Maybe you shouldn't live in this big city if you're forced to live in an apartment with no windows. Maybe a move out to. A, to the rural parts of the state or another state, maybe move to another city with apartments with windows. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's how the market works, right? Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. I'm glad we retouched on it. Think about that freaks. How do you feel about <laughs> light and air regulation? I, mean, I think light and air are very essential too humans living up to their fullest potential again yeah like i really think i mean we go on a lot of walks in austin but since we've been down here my uh my youngest is getting his teeth so he's been teething he's been waking up at like 5 30 and then we literally just need to get him out of the house i've been out of the house 
between like it gets up like between five thirty and six thirty. And the two of us are usually out of the house by six forty five going on a long walk and the fresh air and the morning sunlight. I do think it's added a, a I mean, bit of a in my life. I mean that's a like I think objectively you should get as much fresh air and light as possible. Like I think I think everyone agrees with that. Um the question is should government mandate it or not? And I think it's an interesting specific example where people that might overwhelmingly say that government should mandate shit might fall on the opposite side of that. And that's what makes it interesting. Yeah, is access to fresh air and light an inalienable right that should be afforded to everybody? Forced to live in an apartment. Well, then it's your question of what is forced. Yeah. Because you I think be there is an argument. You could be homeless. I mean, you could be outside all day, every day, you know, and you yeah. get the fresh air and the sunlight every day. But there's an argument that people that are uh, already economically low have yeah. trouble moving and competing. That would actually be the case study <laughs> to run. It's like, all right, if you opened up this affordable housing and it lowered the barrier to entry for people who are homeless to finally get in to an apartment or something like that. No windows or air. Yes. And then run like an AC. They have like AC unit. Yeah. But run an AB test, like did their mental stability fall even further after they got into the pod? (laughs) It's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thought experiment. Yeah. I guess you would. Yeah. Because like, that's the argument, right? So like, the argument is freedom of movement, so you have you have freedom of choice and, and you have core freedom, so you can choose what you want your situation to be. And then the counter-argument is that if, if you don't have money, then can you actually make – do you actually have that freedom of choice? Um, and I've kind of thought about it from like the – the Citadel theory mentality too, where you basically have competing jurisdictions and then sovereign individuals can decide uh, which jurisdiction they want to reside in, right? Like a free market of jurisdictions. Uh, mm-hmm. They talk about this a lot in the sovereign individual book um, where, where uh, governments have to act in a, in a more freedom oriented way because their individual constituents have the ability to move all around. Um, and I generally prescribe with that as a theory. Uh, and I think mostly because there's no perfect solution. Um, but there in that, in that situation, there's obviously a group of people that are just not wanted in like they can't move. They don't have either the ability to move from a place or the ability to move into a new place. Um, that just get left out of that system. And I think it's an interesting thought process to go down. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, in this, I mean, hopefully what we're experiencing now in cities like San Francisco, Philadelphia, Austin, New York, Chicago, in terms of like the homeless problem, Hopefully we have the political will to recognize 
it, number one, as an economic problem. Like a lot of these people are being forced out of their homes because they can't get jobs that allow them to sustain a quality of life. And that's being driven predominantly by the way money's created and the Cantillon effect. And hopefully if we get on a Bitcoin standard, it can uplift a lot of the people that have been forced out back into a, a quality of life that allows them to live in houses and apartments with clean air windows. But then on top of that too, a lot of like, particularly in Austin, like it's very obviously predominantly mental health driven, like, like, like the homeless around like E6 and Austin are schizophrenic beyond anything I've seen in any other city. Like it's really jarring. Um, and that's why, I mean, Adam Carey's said this a lot on no agenda. It's something I believe wholeheartedly in is like, we literally need to bring insane asylums back. Like a lot of the homeless problems, the people who are probably always going to be homeless because of their schizophrenia and the fact that they've been abandoned by their families um, are always going to be there. And at some point in this country's history, we had a support for them, which was insane asylums. Maybe there's a more politically palatable term for them these days, but I think we do need to bring those back and that's the best way. Yeah, but I mean, people I mean, life. Look, One floor I agree. Is a massive psyop. I agree that like, I don't know. I think I agree that there's like crazy people in the streets, but I, there's no, I don't know if there's an easy solution in terms of, uh, giving people with little, no agency, like uh, putting them in a place where like there's a bunch of strangers that have a bunch of power over them. Um, it's just, it just breeds corruption, bad situations. Like, I don't, I don't know if there, there's no easy answer there. No. Um, I, uh, the answer, cause it goes back to building strong foundational institutions. The most, Important. Like you don't think there was, I mean, you just called one flew over the cuckoo's nest to sigh up. Like you don't think there was like really horrible conditions in a bunch of asylums around the world. There probably was, but um, like, doesn't that just logically connect? Like, of course there were. There was like a bunch of like low-paid like fucking asylum workers that had power trips over all these crazy people, and like, of course they fucking took advantage of the power. Like you see that with like low-paid police officers. Like they make thirty thousand a year, but they get to fucking shoot you, so they're gonna shoot you. It's like fucking, it's, it's gonna it, happen. You see it with teachers, like you see it. Uh, um, yeah, no, yeah. it's hard problem to solve. But again, the point I was trying to make, like, comes back to the foundational base of society. Like, I do think you're never gonna solve this problem fully. But my point is, I, I guess my point was though, Marty was like, so like Austin, right, or like us in New York. So like Austin. Let's say the homeless problem seems to be getting worse. Let's just say like the homeless problem continues to get worse. Um, and the policies are, are poor. Um, and you go down the Citadel theory rabbit hole of uh, competing jurisdictions. Uh, sovereign individuals can move. Um, those who can move will move. Uh, but the problem, the, and I don't have, don't pretend to have a solution to this, but it's just an interesting thing to think about. Um is is the problem is there's a whole group of poorer people and working class people that maybe have families and whatnot that cannot easily move to a different jurisdiction. Like we left New York 
it was relatively easy for us. I mean, you were just having your first child. Uh, I had no children, right? And you just, and but when we also had savings and we just fucking moved, we chose a different jurisdiction. But there's a whole group of people that can't choose that different jurisdiction. Those people kind of get left behind in that situation. And I think you just, I think it just comes down to the fact that there's, there's everything has trade-offs. There's no perfect, but like if, uh, we got to like kind of come back to the basics of strong local communities and, and freedom of movement as much as possible and competition between jurisdictions as much as possible because there's just no other option. Agreed. And yeah, I think we're in agreement there. And then also, yeah, just give people a better chance to pull themselves up from their bootstraps, like create a better monetary system that allows them to actually save if they're able to and create a better life life for themselves like that's simply not possible for a large subsection of the population here in the u.s and broadly across the world and again you're never going to solve all these problems fully but you can reduce them significantly i think um and it's empowering them i think with better money and culturally on the cultural side of things again like really driving home the values of the nuclear family and how important that is to the development of humans and increasing their chances to be productive members of society when when they become adults something that's we've gotten away from But I don't want to pontificate here too much. I think you said it. We don't have all the answers. This is just my shoot from the hip thoughts on. It's super interesting though, right? Yeah. It's, well, it's a cool thought process to go down. Yeah. <sighs> you look tired, man. You need to get some sleep. Dude, I'm fucking exhausted. It was, was a long there, It was I worth it. A couch. I know there's a couch on the other side of that wall. Why don't you go lay down? There is. It's such a nice couch. Every office should have a couch. Yes. This is what they took from us. <laughs> Every office used to have a couch. They took a lot from us. They took a lot. We're going to get it back, though, freaks. Slowly but surely. Damn right. If you're, here, if you're here listening, if you're zapping, if you're streaming a sats over podcasting 2.0, thank you. You're a part of this movement to make the world a better place. And yeah, we're in the summer doldrums, but I love this rip. We touched on a lot. I think I do agree with you. This is the calm before the storm, both within Bitcoin, within Noster, within the the incumbent financial system. Like enjoy these next four or five weeks of summer, because I think when fall comes, things are going to get really interesting. I agree. Um, I think that was really well said, Marty. Uh, I mean, I appreciate all the freaks. Uh, thanks for joining us in the live chat, particularly if you joined us here. But also uh, for those freaks that come in day in, uh, week in and week out on the podcast feeds, um, while the haters are calling us fucking idiots, uh, it it means a lot. Uh, we, we appreciate you and uh, we do it because you guys keep coming back and 
it's special. It's a special bond. So thank you guys. Um, tomorrow, I do need to do a just a quick, quick little little dispatch chill. Uh, tomorrow on dispatch, I will be having uh, pro bowler and good friend Russell Okun. Uh, on oh hell yeah. Uh, he's going to be breaking his media silence. I think he's had a media silence for almost two years now. He's um, blowing he, up right now, dude. Everybody's talking about him, like in sports media. He just did a 40-day fast. Um, and he uh, it's an honor and a privilege that he chose Citadel Dispatch on the, on the place to talk about it. So uh, we will be doing our usual Citadel Dispatch. You can search for it on YouTube if you want to join the live chat. Uh, we will be on zap.stream as well. Are you ready to be on ESPN on Monday? Um, and there's going to be a live audience chat. Uh, keep in mind, freaks, it might be on ESPN on Monday. So, like, keep it keep it clean in the chat. Keep it keep <laughs> clean in the live chat, which is, like, probably the worst thing I could say. Like, it's probably going to be worse than ever, isn't it? Uh, um, but, yeah, it'll be it'll be great, and it's an honor and a privilege. And uh, I'm yeah, excited. Keep the Fed it. posting to your signal tomorrow, okay? <laughs> Not to, it, not to the Citadel Dispatch live chat. Keep my what? Not you. I'm talking to uh, the live chatters. Yeah. And uh, that's going to be at uh, 1 p.m. Central Time. Um, so what is it? I think that's 1800. No. Or 1900 UTC. We're five years in. I have no idea what the UTC time is. So I think it's 1900 UTC. That's just mental math. But 1 p.m. Central Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Boom. Yeah. YouTube.com slash at Citadel Dispatch. Check it out, freaks. I'll be tuning in. Very interested to hear what Russell has to say. Inspiring. Some, some Bitcoin and Clyde's giving me shit about Central Time in the in the live chat. Uh, we've been using Eastern Time, or publicly, I've been saying Eastern Time and UTC for for years now, but I've now I've been living in central time zone for two years and you're going to have to deal with it. Now it's, now it's CT is, is what I'm going to be quoting with UTC. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all out of whack. Cause I do like a good portion of the year on East coast time and a good portion of most of the year in central. I always get proton. I got a proton mail. I got a proton calendar, uh, UX improvement PR. I'd like to probably make here when sending out calendar invites, it's fucked a bunch of people up uh, for TFTC over the last week. Like I'll set it for my local time zone. And then when the email invite goes out to the guests who are in many different time zones, they pick up the local time zone that I set it in. They, in the email subject, they put my time zone and not the recipient's time zone. I think you need to figure out a way to set it so it's the right time zone to the person receiving Proton Calendar, please. Is is this how PRs work? Yeah. I'm not going to go to GitHub. It's happening here. Um, by the way, uh, UTC is actually 2000. 2000? Okay. Yeah. Still. It's, it's, it's 20. I'm not going to put the effort in to learn UTC with the daylight savings and all that bullshit. It's too much effort. I mean, UTC is like, I'm a UTC maxi. I think we should just all use one time zone. Okay. 
Noted. I'm going to stick with the ones that I know and grew up with. I'm, I'm a cold-blooded American. I don't deal with that UTC, UTC shit, okay? We should use UTC for future times, and we should use uh, block times for past times. Okay. That's even harder. Like, Nostra is going to be the standard. Bitcoin is going to be the standard. UTC is going to be the standard. I'm pretty sure UTC already is like the standard for some stuff, just not for, not for me. Soon. Okay. Uh, PR live on air for CoinKite. Anders bought a cold card today, and he was sad that there was no lightning checkout. So think about, think about adding that. They have their own. They built their own merchant stack. I can't believe Binance. Added lightning before CoinKite. That's actually pretty sad to see. Very disappointed right now. Wow. Wow. Chat's fired. I hope they hear him. I know you're listening, MVK. She's definitely in here. I can't believe you let CZ beat you to the punch. That's embarrassing. (laughs) All right, let's end it on that. Love you, freaks. Stay humble, stack sets. Peace and love.